set the tone. Please record your podcast. When you are finished, let the fans download on Spotify and listen to the latest episode. Welcome to episode 35. This is the Set the Tone podcast. You can follow along on Twitter at Set the Tone underscore pod. Again, that is at Set the Tone underscore pod. I am your fearless host, Tony, coming out of a Thanksgiving food coma. Can we just clear this up? The tryptophan argument that we hear each year about eating turkey and falling asleep. Well, it's a tryptophan. Can we stop with that? You fall asleep because you eat like you're at the old country buffet, for those who know what that place is. There's more tryptophan in a rotisserie chicken for eight bucks from Costco that we eat throughout the year than there is turkey, which we eat once a year. It's because you eat sweet potatoes. It's because you eat stuffing. It's because you eat cranberry sauce, Brussels sprouts, green bean casserole, maybe a glass of wine, a couple beers, and mix it down with a little bit of whiskey. That's why you fall asleep by 6.30 and miss the Patriots-Vikings game. Me, on the other hand, I did not. I fell asleep at 9.30 maybe, but boy, do we have a good Black Friday workout. We parlayed that into Saturday, Michigan, Ohio State with the leftover spread I alluded to last week, the gobbler sliders, pretty good. Some smash Brussels sprouts, also very good, but I think where I really took over was the Bloody Mary pitcher that I threw together. Those are some damn good Bloody Marys. And to be honest, first time making Bloody Marys on my own. I usually go out and have Bloody Marys. It's not something that I'm making on Sundays, but I think I have walked into something big time. Shout out to the lady in the grocery store with the unsolicited advice as I was looking through Bloody Mary mix. She goes, go with that one. We do at our holiday party, and we do a blind taste test. I thought it was kind of weird. Didn't ask her. And of course, you right, you get, here's what Bloody Mary mix you should get. And there's a story behind it. I don't know if I appreciate the story more or if I would have appreciated that she just said, get it and keep on walking. So, that is where I ended up Saturday. We have a lot to talk about in a short window of time, so I'll try and get this through first. Let's start with Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, he took Ambien, fell asleep on a plane, pissed people off. I get it. Is he a selfish me, 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 me guy? Yeah, absolutely. That is not something that I'm going to sit here and deny. The conversation that we will get to once he signs with Buffalo, Dallas, New York, L.A. is out of the picture at this point, but is how will he wear his welcome out? And... The thing that I find exceptionally interesting about Odell Beckham Jr., look at his tenure early with the Giants. Look at his first year in Cleveland. Look at him this past year with the Rams. He is perfectly fine. Odell Beckham Jr. is like fresh produce. Really, really good to have. Farm to table, as they call it, but damn, it's going to spoil quick. He is the ultimate one-year guy. And after that point is where he kind of loses his luster. But I have no fear in wherever Odell... And 
New York, there's obviously some baggage there. Maybe he wants to try and right some wrongs with the fan base. We know the media sure shit doesn't like him. And with Dallas, the fanfare that comes along with it, the media attention, I don't think that's going to be an issue for him. Obviously, we, we know Buffalo won't be. His services, I think, could be used in Buffalo. Stephon Diggs and, I would say, a bunch of number threes. They have a really hard time establishing a number two there. But, again, we get all the headlines that come with Odell Beckham Jr. I will tell you, wherever he goes, barring that he is healthy, he makes a difference. And he makes a positive difference for that team. That's point number one that I want to make on today's show. Uh, the other is we talk about distraction and selfish players. We now see that Patrick Peterson has come out and pretty unsolicited has called Kyler Murray selfish. That Kyler Murray is a me first guy and he kind of gets what comes to him. Right? Patrick Peterson's excuse me Patrick Peterson had spent a few years with the Arizona Cardinals now finds himself with the Minnesota Vikings and even Larry Fitzgerald who is a very soft-spoken individual I guess is the way I would put it although he's in the media he does the let's go podcast with Jim Gray and Tom Brady finds himself on Monday Night Football he had hinted at something on Monday Night Football. And I would say of all people who would shoot you straight, I get the sense that it would be Larry Fitzgerald. And Kyler Murray's rebuttal to Patrick Peterson's comment was, well, why didn't you say anything? You have my number, call me, text me, and let's handle it like adults. Fair point. But... I also like to think of this in a real-world setting. Outside of the locker room, can this happen? Are there instances where you could see a selfish individual and you not say something as a human? Absolutely. Now, the question is, why wouldn't you say something? I like to believe that Patrick Peterson had not said something. Larry Fitzgerald had not said something. And who knows? Maybe something had been said by one of them, and Kyler Murray decided to ignore it. So he's playing the victim card here. But I'd like to believe that a guy like Peterson, a guy like Fitzgerald, had witnessed this from afar, right? That 50,000 foot view. And they have seen how Kyler Murray has dealt with others who have spoken to him. I mean, we have clearly seen Kyler Murray treat Cliff, King- Cliff Kingsbury like shit. And if you're going to treat a coach like that, why would a player want to come up and talk to you? So the act of omission here, right, the player, Peterson, or the teammate, Peterson Fitzgerald, see that it's better to just sit on the sidelines. Why even? What am I going to gain out of saying anything? The kid's not going to listen anyways. Doesn't listen to me. Doesn't listen to those around him. And maybe he just has yes men around him. I don't know. But I think Patrick Peterson and Larry Fitzgerald probably make a pretty fair argument. And I would like to think as well that 
it comes from a very educated point of view, meaning that they have witnessed a lot through the years that they now feel comfortable saying something. And I'll put it this way. I I had heard a comment made by Chris Sims. He goes, you're telling me Kyler Murray can't do what Jalen Hurts could do? Tua Tungabailoa has done? And I thought about it for a second. Yeah, you make a good point because Kyler Murray has that talent. But hold up a second. Kyler Murray, to a degree, kind of what Chris Sims was saying, you don't think he could do a part of what they could? Yeah, he, he has. He's put up the numbers side of it. Kyler Murray in an offense that, and this is a revolving door, but he's had Larry Fitzgerald. He's had Christian Kirk. He's had Rondale Moore, Hollywood Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, Zach Ertz, a prime Chase Edmonds, James Conner. There have been a lot of weapons that have come through Arizona. Kyler Murray has put up numbers. He has filled up the stat sheet. The one thing where he has struggled to do for all 16 and 17 games is fill up the win column. And that right there is case in point, selfishness. He's a good football player, but he's not a winning football player. Does that make sense? And I think the true colors kind of show through that. Right? So Kyler Murray can do, does do, what others have. But there's also a part that he does not. And when it boils down to it, that's what matters the most in football is winning. We'll keep it in the NFL setting here. Then we'll talk college football a little bit and a free marketing idea I had for the game of golf, which, God forbid, they would listen. We'll get to that. I I usually am hard on baseball, but I'm going to be hard on golf here for the second. That's towards the end of the show. Relatively close to Northeast Ohio here from where I sit. Deshaun Watson also sits and is preparing to play his first NFL game in about, what, 700 days? We have not seen him since he had suited up in a Texans uniform. Then all the sexual misconduct allegations come out about him. 20-plus. And the swirling trade rumors between Miami, Cleveland, Denver, God knows where Deshaun Watson could have went during that time. It has finally come for him to play an NFL football game once again, and that'll be under center for the Cleveland Browns this Sunday. And the game will be in Houston, taking on some of his former teammates, the Houston Texans, in front of what I'm going to gather are a lot of former fans for one reason or another. I'm very curious to see on the football side of things how Deshaun Watson performs after an extremely long layoff you'd like to think based off of kind of what we saw from Ricky Williams a little bit took care of his body in those two years it wasn't injury related so you'd think he's in good physical order but the reception that he gets 
from the fans. It's going to be interesting. The reception that he gets from teammates, barring things go wrong. Should there be a little rush? Should there be a little adversity? What's the mood? And then I'm curious to also see with this, if there is winning right away, right? if there's a push with the Browns to flirt with a wild card spot, after they come off a big overtime win, first overtime touchdown, Nick Chubb, he had scored first one in Browns history since 1991. Does winning truly cure all? And you're in a city such as Cleveland that is starved, absolutely starved for a winning football franchise. Can Deshaun Watson I mean, do really the unthinkable, win over a fan base? Or will people just learn to tolerate him? So that's this is all really hypothetical because none of it has happened yet, but I'm curious to see. And this is just the first step in what could be a long journey in the NFL or a long and prosperous journey in the NFL. It's an interesting sociological experiment, should we say. We have seen players after trying to use the right wording here, but mishaps, right? And I'm not going to say all mishaps are created equal and they all different shapes, sizes, forms, what have you. But some players have been received. Some players have been shunned. This is the first of Deshaun Watson's kind. Is there an opportunity for him to win a fan base back? Extremely curious to see that. I had kicked off the show with the amazing food spread that I had made for the Michigan-Ohio State game. Let's actually talk about the game a little bit itself, the college football playoff. We now have Georgia number one. Michigan, two wins in a row against Ohio State. They move to the number two team in the country. Number three sits for TCU. And number four, USC. Ohio State and Alabama are right on the heels of those four teams. I'd say more so of the two, of TCU and USC. Both have to play in conference championship games this week and I, I I truly thought the committee would give us chaos and put Bama at five because of the way Ohio State had lost turns out it's not the case USC takes on Utah eight o'clock Eastern on Fox and the noon game will tell us a lot TCU takes on number 10 Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. So, and now there's a new argument, right? If TCU loses to the number 10 team in the country, is it enough to remove them? And let's say it's a razor-thin game. Back and forth, there's a late touchdown, late field goal that puts KSU over the edge. 
Is that enough to get Ohio State back in? I'm going to guess probably. And you have three big names with USC, Georgia. Now, the, the thing with you would have USC move up to take on Michigan, which would be an absolutely huge game. They've had some classic Michigan-USC Rose Bowl games over the years, but to get them in a college football playoff would be a different element. So those are the six teams with a chance. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC, Ohio State, and Alabama. The college football playoff, as of a day ago, has expanded now to 12 teams for the next season. So we would now see Bama in. We would now see Ohio State in, without question. We could now see some fringe teams jump in. Could a number 14 LSU, we would keep Clemson in. Uh, Would Tulane have a chance if they were playing in the AAC championship game? They sit 18. Does it give those type of teams a chance? Don't know. I've heard a lot of pushback to the 12 teams. It's too much of an expansion too quick. But then there are more that like it. There are more that like the more the merrier. And if this season has shown us anything in college football, on any given Saturday, these teams can be beaten, which makes it kind of fun. Now, I do get that the conferences lose a little bit of luster because what's what's the fun in Michigan, Ohio State? If they're both three and four or two and three, I'm sorry, at the point of kickoff last Saturday, well, we know they're both in the playoff. Let's say Bama and Auburn has a resurgence. Does the Iron Bowl mean anything? So do we lose those games? Yeah, I'd say a little bit, but depending on this format, and I need to look into it a little bit more, but could we be deciding home field advantage? With some of this stuff where it's not at a neutral site. And you have Michigan with the chance to host a college football playoff game. Or could Ohio State have a chance, right? And that puts a little bit of juice into it. Kind of like we see with the NFL. right? There's home field advantage on the line. Teams are going to play for a one seed, two seed, etc. So that could add a little more pizzazz to what we see in the college football landscape. As it sits right now, we could jump in. Well, next podcast will be next week. Sunday, we will be sitting here with a clear picture of the college football playoff. This is my guess. I am going to say the four teams remain, but I am going to guess that USC jumps TCU as Caleb Williams cements his Heisman Trophy. That is my prediction, free of charge. In the NFL, we have a Bills-Patriots game tonight, actually kick off in just a few minutes. By the time this podcast is up and running, the game will have kicked off. I need to put a little gambling thing in. I have 14 minutes to do that, so we're going to have to cut this thing short. I have to pick over unders, team an underdog against the spread, or an underdog against the spread, a favorite against the spread. I have to pick up. Oh, what else? 
players with 100 yards receiving, rushing, all that nonsense. So clock is ticking, 14 minutes to do so. We'll get it moving. The one free thought I had for the PGA here. Card exemptions. I know no one really cares about golf this time of year, and that's kind of the point. But the reason I bring this up is Tiger Woods had to withdraw from a tournament due to plantar fasciitis. He said, I can hit every shot that you want. I just can't walk. Why not? December, January. Nobody really watches golf anyways. Only the diehard golf fans, I'll put it on a Sunday if it's good. Whatever. Right when college football ends, now I'll watch golf a little bit more. Why not let players ride in the cart? All. And I'm not talking just Tiger. Now, I know it's pulling teeth to get a cart exemption, and the PGA will never do this. But if we take anything from the match on TNT, right? We see Phil, Tiger, now quarterbacks playing it as well, Bryson DeChambeau. We get so much content from having a camera, having a microphone in the cart. The PGA needs to drive viewers, clicks. Why not create content? I get they're doing the Netflix show. That's well and good. Or do this. Don't even have to offer the offer the cart to everyone. Not everyone has to take it. But if you do. You sign up for X, Y, and Z as it pertains to media being done during the tournament. Because these tournaments aren't the creme de la creme anyways, but golfers can use this to quote-unquote build their brand. The PGA can use this to create content, give fans a different insight into the game of golf, and with all of this content creation, brand building. It's another way for pockets to be lined more. It's a step ahead of live golf. Or is that too much logical sense that we might try to think of something outside of the box? Again, I'm just talking December, January. Once you hit Super Bowl weekend, waste management open rolls around, cut it. Now we're in our more competitive calendar season. We're going to treat it all the same. But for December, January... Because you're trying to get the big names out to these tournaments anyways. So make it easy on them. Give them a chance. Jay Monahan, if you're listening, you're welcome. Clock is ticking on this gambling thing I have to get. And the reason I want to get it in now for making all these 10 picks, I like the over in the Bills-Patriots game here. It's 43.5. Reason being... This is not your typical Thursday night game. Not a short week. Both teams played on Thanksgiving. Full week of rest. Let's treat it like that. The Bills offense can click a little bit. I'd be curious what Mac Jones can do. I don't believe in him that much. You get the point here. Also, college basketball underway. A lot of flip-flopping early in the rankings this year. North Carolina already has three losses on the season. Lost to Indiana last night. Texas, number two in the country. Uh, Baylor Gonzaga's this week. Texas playing Creighton right now. Just some fun stuff all over. We got to get rolling here. Hopefully we could set the tone for you. We'll see you all next week.